Good morning, church family. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, I actually wrote a little bit of an introduction of who I am, but Kip beat me to it, so thank you for that, Kip. And I wasn't actually going to say that it was my birthday, because I don't want, this isn't about me, but yeah, thank you for that kind, that kind introduction, Kip. So, like Kip said, we're going to be entering into Matthew chapter 6. Two weeks ago, I know it seems like a long time after you shovel your driveway about five times like I did, but two weeks ago, Sam Yider preached about congruence of the heart. Congruence of the heart, which means that our external actions are in alignment with our internal spirit and soul in that taking part in living the good life actually starts when these two things are in alignment, when they're congruent with each other. And Jesus continues that idea of congruence and our need for the proper realignment of our motivation in Matthew chapter six. See, but Jesus doesn't want us to be an actor. Jesus doesn't want us to be an actor that takes the stage and becomes someone else moving with actions that aren't our own, saying things that we don't actually mean or chasing the approval of those around us, chasing the applause, if you would, trying to be something that we're not. Or maybe think of it like this. Our people, our kids, our friends, maybe you, even me, We go on social media, say things we don't mean for people that don't actually matter about things that aren't important. We're taking the stage or our virtual community, it provides a stark example of being valued for something that we're not. And even the most authentic among us are tempted to do these things, to fit in to receive some praise, to feel valued, to get likes, to seem caring, to be praised by men. Trying to live a lie that we try to convince ourselves to believe. But when Jesus enters into our life, he calls us to something better. He calls us away from the pretending to something genuine. The way of his kingdom is not a performance not a striving to be seen by men and praised by them, but a way of living an authentic life, a truly good life. In Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about various religious activities such as prayer and fasting, but the point of his passage, the point of this passage, is to warn against fake spirituality. And so his point in Matthew chapter six is that motivation matters. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see regularly, consistently, that Jesus, his words cut like a knife against the gospel of self-sovereignty. Against the gospel of a faith formed around me and my power and my truth and my authority, my opinions. We see Jesus transitioning his followers to a vertical motivation rather than a horizontal expression. And so if you haven't yet, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter six. Um, If you're gonna use the Bible in front of you, it's page 787. 
And we're gonna spend a little bit of time reading through this passage. So I'll start in Matthew chapter six, verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse seven, and when you do pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others' sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they, did, for they disfigure their fa faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to, other, to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The reason that I, I wanted to read the whole passage is because it's important that we see all of these things within the context of which they were written. So what Jesus is saying in Matthew is that these religious practices should be between you and God, and you should not be doing them for the motivation of trying to be seen by others to impress them, or to try to parade your spirituality in public. He's saying that our aim, our motivation should always be about pursuing God, not performance for men. But as always, it's important that we look at biblical balance here. We must compare scripture with scripture. In the chapter just before this, chapter five, Matthew five, Jesus told his followers that they are the light of the world. He said in 5.16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And you may ask, why then, in, in Matthew 6, is Jesus warning against public display of spirituality? Is Jesus speaking himself into a contradiction here? No. Again, it has to do with attitude and motivation. We do want the world to see the fruit of a life transformed, but we do good things not to get the praise of men, but to glorify God and draw men to him. The theologian John Stott helpfully speaks to this seeming contradiction in the quotes up on the screen if you would read, read along with me. Not out loud, sorry. The contradiction is only verbal, not substantial. The clue lies in the fact that Jesus is speaking against different sins. It's in our human cowardice which made him say, let your light shine before men. But our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety before men. 
Our good works must be public so that our light shines. Our religious devotions must be secret lest we boast about them. And A.B. Bruce sums up the idea well when he writes, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. See, the, the central underlying question about these authentic, authentic practices of righteousness is which God are we serving? The goal is not to bring praise to ourselves but to let our light shine so that others can see our good works and glorify men and glorify God so that men can see. Jesus says that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees whose righteousness was before men. That was the goal of the Pharisees. But let's look at the contrast between living for the horizontal performance versus the vertical rule of God. A few weeks ago, Kip emphasized that the Messiah had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to draw it deeper within our hearts so that the things of faith, even some of the expressions of faith remain. But Jesus awakens his followers to the right motives or the goals of doing outward expressions of faith. And he emphasizes to them that a proper heart posture is required. So practicing righteousness, prayer, and fasting, they were central elements in the Jewish religion and are all assumed to be valid for Jesus' disciples. But the issue is not whether you should do them, but why and how. And so let's look at that. Matthew 6, 1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He continues in verse two. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. In the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So verse two says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. And I, I read somewhere this week when I was preparing that that's where the idea of tooting your own horn comes from. Is that way when they, when they would be walking to the synagogues to give, they would have someone playing a trumpet behind them so everyone would, would look to them. And so in a sense, they were tooting their own horn. I just thought that was interesting. So what Jesus is saying is that in action, while giving to those in need, the hypocrite makes a public spectacle of what they're doing so that they would be praised by others. But of course, we want to be well thought of and well liked and we should always put our best foot forward, but what Jesus was describing is a selfish manipulation of things meant to honor God for personal gain. So then that poses the question, if we don't do it for the praise of men, then what's our motivation? What's our motivation to give? Well, scripture tells us that tithing is a way to show that we trust God with our whole lives, including our finances. Tithing isn't for God's benefit, isn't for God's benefit, rather for ours. He doesn't need our money. But tithing is meant to benefit us because we're sacrificing a portion of our income and it reminds us to rely solely on God to meet our needs. Giving also encourages a grateful and generous spirit and it's a great reminder of the gift that God gave us, his son. 
in the life that Jesus gave. And so it really is the least we could do. And so what Jesus is saying is don't be like the hypocrites. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And Kip described it to me like this. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing just in case you may be tempted to point back at yourself when you're giving. So don't be like the hypocrites. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing lest we boast. So motivation matters in how we give. Motivation also matters when we pray. We look back into scripture in Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father who knows what you need, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, growing up, I was, I was mostly a good like child, and then as I got to a kid and a teenager, I decided to um, be a little more bullheaded. But when I was a kid, I remember a specific time. We were probably coming back from church. That's when I like to act up the most. But we were coming home, and I said something to my mom. I'm not sure what it was, but it was, it was worthy of punishment. And so she told me, when we get home, you're going to get a spanking. And so when I was in the car, I was thinking, what can I do to get out of this punishment? And so what I did, as any good Christian does, is I ran up to my room and started to pray. But I didn't close the door on purpose. I wanted her to see me praying when she came up to punish me. So, as the Lord does, he answered my prayer. (laughs) I, I didn't get punished. My mom saw me and maybe she just thought that I was actually praying for the, the wealth and health of our family. I don't know, but, but I had my reward. My reward was the temporary reprieve from my mom. And though she had, she had the right to punish me, she decided to let it pass. So I, I had my reward. I had my, my momentary reward. And as Jesus said in scripture, a pagan or a Gentile would go on praying to all the gods they could think of. So they wouldn't offend any of them. And Jesus is saying he's not against long prayers, but he's against those that drag on to be noticed. And so like I did, trying to manipulate God, Jesus is saying you can't manipulate God for spiritual gain. And the temporary being seen is the only reward there is, no reward at all. Then the question is why do we pray? What's our motive? Well, we pray because that's the way we communicate with our creator to ask for his aid, to thank him for what he has done. We pray to confess our sins, and we pray because we were given that direct connection with the Father when Jesus died and the curtain was torn. And Jesus bridged the gap that we never could have bridged on our own. And so the hypocrites were praying for personal gain, as I was. But the question is, how often do we pray selfishly? How often do you pray in private? in that secret place, if the public was taken away, what would be left? Motivation matters in how we give. It matters in how we pray, and it matters in how we fast. 
Jesus continues in 6.16. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So to get attention, the hypocrites didn't stop with sharing a few pennies or praying for an audience. They even fast so that others would see them fasting and their attention would be on them. Calvin Miller um, has an interesting quote about this. He says, the worst form of human bondage may be reputation. The most narcotic of our addictions can sometimes be your need to be the center of attention. And this is nowhere more true in, than in the world of religion. So in the first century, fasting was regular in Jewish tradition. It was regular in their religious expression. They fasted, which means they intentionally missed meals or certain things so that they could see how the Lord would meet that need. They would say no to a perceived need and recognize that a proper relationship in pursuit of God was more fulfilling. But let's be honest. Often we don't fast anymore. It's not really a regular practice that we have. But is that our problem? Are we to fast still? Jesus calls his followers to live a responsive faith for the glory of God, not self. A responsive faith. What if we fasted from those things that are controlling us, that have control over us, not for others to see, but in secret? What if we fasted for congruence in the soul, spirit, and strength? This doesn't only apply to our giving, to our prayer, but also in the things that control us. Jesus instructs his disciples to behave differently, even when they're doing the seeming same actions of the hypocrites. But he says we're to do it with different motives. Simple, authentic faithfulness over performance. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us without guidance. He gives us a prayer from and for the proper heart posture for our motivations. Look at Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We start with, hallowed be thy name. And this is the key here. The key is that we are proclaiming, God, your way, not mine. It's about your glory, not mine. And this beginning to this prayer helps us set up that proper heart posture. It sets God in his proper perspective. We pray for his glory. We, we pray for the coming kingdom and that we may partake in it. We pray for the advance of God's saving, redemptive, restoring righteousness. We pray that the Father would take his throne and set things in order. 
We pray for the kingdom, that it would come, and that Jesus, as Jesus says in the next part of the prayer, causing his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for the restoration of the original created harmony between heaven and earth. And we're praying that we would be part of that restoration so that as we hear and do what Jesus says, we can bring glory to our Father. And we ask for daily bread so that we can carry out our, carry out our vocation and do good works for the proper reasons that bring glory to the Father. And we ask for deliverance from temptation and evil, asking for help that our hearts would not be led astray. And he finishes with forgiveness, which we often think is kind of an external action, but he's telling us that this is an internal decision, that forgiveness starts with the internal, setting things right with someone, which is often a hard thing to do. So when I learned the Lord's Prayer, I had, I had said it a couple times throughout growing up, but I never really memorized it until um, I played high school football. And there was this weird guy named Bruce Barlow. <laughs> um, Bruce was an assistant coach on the football team, and he would always lead our team prayer before we played the game. And so he would always pray a great prayer, and then we would finish with the Lord's Prayer out loud together. And so it started with me learning the Lord's Prayer because I didn't want to be the one that wasn't saying it with everyone else. And so it started with my desire to fit in with those around me because I didn't want to be left out. I wanted to make sure that when they looked at me, they knew that I knew the Lord's Prayer. But as the Lord often does, he works in your heart even when you're not intending him to. And by learning it, it didn't stop with the public only expression. It didn't stop with me just learning it and then not taking it to heart. And so as Sam emphasized two weeks ago, we must continue the appraisal of the heart. Jesus is calling you and me to proper congruence of the heart and that our external expression would match our inward transformation. Then the question is how? How can we pursue the good life in our internal motivation so it would match our outward expression? How? Well, as we read, Jesus starts with giving. Giving flows from a faithful heart. We have the opportunity to give faithfully without expectation of recognition, to give God glory in the things that he has gifted us with. And so many here give faithfully. But I encourage you to reassess why. It's easy when it just comes out of our bank account and then it just goes straight to the church or goes straight to um, helping hands or whatever, but I encourage you to, to, to reassess why. And maybe it is for pure motivation, but it's so easy just to do the action without realizing the purpose behind it. And it's a blessing to think about why we give and the opportunity that we have to bless those around us. And so what is our motivation 
forgiving. And Jesus continues with prayer. Prayer indeed, as Kip said, is our highest privilege. Think about your prayer life. And this one is hard for me because I have to reassess this one often. It's really easy when, when you work in a church for people just to um, look at you for prayer every time you're in a context for prayer. And so when I was, when I was writing this message and kind of dwelling on this truth, I, I realized that, man, I pray in public often, but oftentimes my personal prayer life doesn't align. And so if you only pray in public to be seen, even if you don't realize it, Jesus is calling you, he's calling us to so much more. He's calling us to so much more. It starts with relationship. I encourage you to find that place, as Jesus said, that secret place for you to spend time with your Father in prayer. Reflect upon it. What is your motivation for prayer? Why do you do it? And then the third one, which is probably the hardest, is fasting. Fasting is about priority. What do we prioritize in our life over relationship with God? And as you take that appraisal of your heart, it's easy to see so many good things in our life that get in the way. And it almost sounds like it doesn't make sense. So many good things in our life that get in the way. It could be food, as often fasting is referred to as. It could be scrolling your cell phone purposely, purposelessly. It could be television, it could be porn, it could be sports, it could be your kids, your personal time. It could be your secret sin. Take an appraisal. What in your life needs to be realigned? But don't, see me, don't hear me say that fasting is purely about physical action. It's not. It's about relationship. It's about pursuing a relationship with God that is so much better. It is about prioritizing our reliance on God with his substance rather than our perceived need. So what is the good life? We've said it so many times through this sermon series. The good life is walking with him, aligned with his purpose in us, responding to his grace, living a life congruent where our authenticity is internal as well as external. The good life starts with Jesus, but you don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. This is the, the part in the message that I plug all the things going on at our church, but I encourage you, join a group or, to, or remain faithful to the one that you're in. Ask for accountability. Look for a prayer partner. Memorize scripture. Dwell on truth. Join our Matthew reading series. I'm pretty sure this is actually the first message where we read the passage the same day 
as it was preached, and so you're welcome for that. But I say all of that to say this. He wants to give you rest from the performance. He wants to give you rest, but you don't have to do it alone. But let's be honest here. Let's be honest. Our faith journey is a process. It's a process. It's not called a faith walk for nothing. He doesn't say run the race for nothing. Author David Benner says it this way. Our fulfillment lies in the death of our own agendas. It also lies in the crucifixion of our all-centered, of our ego-centered ways of living apart from complete surrender to God. It does not lie then in any other places we would expect to find it. Christ's way always turns our ways upside down. But it's only in the upside down world of Christ's kingdom that we will ever find the self we were called from eternity to be in the God we were created to serve. In God alone is the truth of our being. When we think about the faith journey, it's so easy to put so many things in the way. It's so easy to feel like we have to check off so many boxes. But I want to encourage you and I want to remind you that our faith journey is not checking off boxes of giving, prayer, fasting. It's not about checking off the boxes. It's not, it's not necessarily even about the physical action. It's about our attitude and motivation. It's about what does it look like for us to truly live a life congruent to what Jesus is calling us to. He says in Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Friends, it's so easy to feel like we have to do things to be righteous. A faith filled with me and me and me. But that's not what it's about. The Lord is calling us to so much more. And so as we close today, I want us to think about what it looks like to live a life of congruence, to live a life consistent with the things that we proclaim. And so the way that I want us to practice that right now is to say the Lord's Prayer together. And we'll close in the Lord's Prayer. Would you stand with me? And so it'll be up on the screen, but I'll read it from Matthew 6, 9. Would you say it out loud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Church family, I want you to use this prayer this week as a proclamation of truth. 
as a decision that we don't walk into the next week the same. We don't walk into it the same because we say, hallowed be thy name. Because we're putting God in his place in our lives. And so my challenge for you is that as we step into a new week tomorrow, don't be the same. Dwell on the truth that we read about today. And remember that we don't walk alone. We don't walk it alone. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would be with us in the journey, that you would continue the work in our hearts of what it means to be congruent and realigned with you. We're excited to see how you continue to work through the church, through its people, and how your spirit continues to work in our hearts. God, we pray your prayer for our hearts. I pray that prayer for me. Be with these men and women as they walk into a new week full of opportunity, but we ask that you would not let us walk into a new week the same. God, we glorify you and we ask all these things in your son's name. And all God's people said, you are dismissed. Have a blessed week.